edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma irradiated, with both its parents tragically killed before its eyes, and aired live every week only on the non-productive network, the only place that would have us. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio as always by Ken and Pete. Hi, Ken and Pete. Hey, Frank. Hi, Frank, and, well, just Frank. On Near Mint Comic Radio, we rank and review comics from best to worst. That's mint, near mint, good, fair, and poor to you newbies, and try to guide you in what to read and what might be better to avoid. On this week's special episode, for no reason, we've decided to do an all-star Star Wars comics near mint explosion. Yes. Yeah, there has no reason for this. It's not like there's going to be, I don't know, a super epic blockbuster of a movie coming out in the next I, few days. I, I don't know what you're Star Wars about. Episode 8, The Wrath of Khan. Oh, is that what it's called? I believe so. I believe you are wrong. Last Jedi is coming in, actually, depending on when this podcast drops uh, now. It's here. Yeah, it may be Maybe. here. So this is going to have no spoilers associated with it in terms of Last Jedi. You're welcome, Internet, which is really really obsessed with not ruining that movie. I understand, but I've not mm. seen this much energy in people's social media posts. Have you noticed this, too? Uh, I wouldn't, because I'm staying away from everything, because I really already, just want to be surprised. Yeah. You've already avoided social I. media? The, really? Uh, yeah, the, the, the little teaser ads that they've been throwing up on TV are even getting me nervous. Really? That's Have interesting. Have you seen the, the, the Don't Let Anyone Spoil This? Yeah. No. And then usually some sort of uh, leading clips. And yeah. I, I, I'm getting the feeling they're, they're purposely leading. Re- m- misleading. Or misleading. Yeah, 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 I see what you mean. Yeah, I have, um, you know, I, I think I've avoided most of it, but I may have to turn off the internet for a few days until I actually get to see the movie. But like I said, this podcast is going to be spoiler free. We recorded it before we saw the movie, and it's mm-hmm. going to not talk about any of the products that are involved in the last jedi We're, we are not going to tell you that uh finn's father is john boyega it's possible wait a minute that's Mind interesting blown. john boyega in a different film no. or just no no it's actor. just john boyega wow the actor is the father of the character nice i was gonna say you could just blame it on jj abrams but i guess at that point no, i guess you can't yeah none of this is gonna make it into the podcast this is ridiculous okay we're cutting all of this out porgs <laughs> in that case porks um all right so we're also not going to be talking about older star wars comics i mean since star wars has been around it's i think almost since uh, since 1977 star wars has had comics out there yeah, to 70, help build a story 77 78 actually um the the marvel comics that first started doing star wars was what helped them almost uh pretty much survive bankruptcy during that era right i mean yeah. right and they they first adapted the original film right and uh and then started on their own adventures right uh, and in fact, in those early days, that's the only way you got additional Star Wars content. It was originally just the comics uh, after the first movie, and then uh, pretty quickly with some art role-playing games, but mm-hmm. mostly well, yeah, it was the comics. No- well, you had the novels, too. The that's Splinter true, of the Mind's Eye was one of the read. first. Oh, that's strong. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Comics? Okay. Yeah, just, just look at the- <laughs> but those, those early Marvel comics were really kind of interesting because... Yes. Many of them were written before the script had been finalized oh, because they yeah. had to go into production in order to to make the uh, simul- simultaneously almost with the film release. Right. 
And it's it's very interesting to see them working off an old script and then going off in weird directions with absolutely no because they got no guidance from George Lucas where the story might go afterwards. Well, that's why we had Marvel had stories of Han Solo trolling around the Millennium Falcon with like aliens like green rabbits. His name was Jackson. <laughs> and he was amazing and in no way in no way like captain bucky o'hare all right this is gonna be an all jackson episode of near mint uh spoiler alert mint but no seriously oh my god i just figured out who supreme leader snoke is <laughs> stay, stay tuned for uh, an upcoming non-pro uh, lazy fully theater oh actually that would be really fun to do that would be incredibly fun to do. But on this episode, we're going to focus on more modern era Star Wars comics. So I guess the rule is anything that takes place after the prequels, really, as in publication history. So the first trilogy, of course, finished with Turn of the Jedi in theaters. And several years later, in around 99, I guess, is when Phantom Menace was released. In the next few years, we got the last, mm -hmm. last two in the trilogy. Anything that took place after those movies were published, when Star Wars was back into the zeitgeist, full stream, everybody was talking about it, everybody had watched it, yeah. everybody could watch it, which was for a period of time not possible. Mm -hmm. You couldn't just go and you know pick up a copy of the trilogy or and watch them yeah. uh those comics in the intervening years marvel had finished up its run that went around 100 issues mm -hmm. right uh and then a few years after that dark horse picked up right the uh, license somewhere around the mid to late 90s just at and the they, dawn of the uh the prequels yeah right. it, 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 that was one of the things that uh that helped stir up the interest in star wars enough to get those special editions released, and then get the prequels made. Yeah, one of the things I do remember in the, that early Dark Horse time was uh, a great series, Dark Empire. Right. Which was like, that just blew everybody away that I knew, you know, that that was uh, hanging around in comic shops th th during those years. It's a fun period of fandom for Star Wars where a lot more was permissible because a lot more kind of went under the radar. Like, if it was a novel or a comic, it seemed like we could get away with more, so weirder things happened. Mm -hmm. uh, Skippy the Jedi droid was one of my favorites. <laughs> right. right. Was that a Dark Horse? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. It was one of the Star Wars Legends. Very good. All Before right. Legends meant something else. Yeah. So we're not, we're trying to focus mostly this episode on things that you could still get now, things yes. that are still being published. So a lot of what we're going to talk about is Marvel, because of course... Disney and Marvel kind of are it's just gobbling up everything and Star Wars is a Disney property well, and which means it would probably mm -hmm. be published under Marvel Comics. Well, let's also acknowledge too, I mean, a lot of these stories from Dark Horse just because they don't have the rights anymore doesn't mean that these stories aren't available either. Marvel's done Marvel's a really great job a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. of reprinting everything yeah. under the Legends imprint. Yeah, right. make them very accessible. And for those of you who don't know, although if you're listening to the Star Wars podcast, you definitely know, Legends is kind of the, the catch-all to say, here's all the stuff that we can't honestly say is canon, but maybe... We may be taking elements of it, mm -hmm. uh, parts of the expanded universe from back in the day. But yes, so most of what's going to be moving forward will be coming out of Marvel, although we do have a special weird little uh, ex exception <laughs> uh, that we're going to talk about later in the show. And we're going to start the thing off with the very end or near the end of Dark Horse's run. Uh, the book I read was from 2014. It's Star Wars Rebel Heist. This came on the recommendation from Ken. I really enjoyed this series, and I was really kind of curious to see what your take on it was. 
So it has been a while since I, I've been reading Star Wars comics off and on, even including the new Marvel uh, launch when Darth Vader one came out and Leia what came out and and what have you. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, I didn't expect that. I, I guess I didn't expect what I ended up getting in Rebel Heist. And Rebel Heist is, for lack of a better phrase, a very dark horse book. Uh, you kind of miss this when you're you're, you're reading. It's like seeing someone you see every day. You, you don't notice the, the minor changes that take place in their faces over time. But someone you haven't seen in a long time, you're like, holy crap, you look so much different. That's what I felt like reading Dark Horse's Rebel Heist. Uh, because in this book, we've got a darker look at our heroes, our main characters. Mm -hmm. uh, there are four issues in this uh, trade paperback. The first issue is uh, fo follows Han Solo, then Leia, then which Chewbacca. I thought was an interesting, really take interesting, to a really cool way to tell tell a story. And finally, Luke in the fourth chapter. Uh, and in this story, you've got uh, you've got a, a comic that is unafraid to question the motivations of its heroes. And I didn't realize that, but we don't get that a lot in mar modern Marvel comics now that Star Wars is officially under the Disney brand with Marvel. It's there's still a, there's a, a extreme level of canonizing those heroes. Those people from the original trilogy are the golden I was going to say the golden uh, trio, but the golden quadro. <laughs> I don't know if you count uh, Chewbacca, which of course you should. No, um, he doesn't speak English, so <laughs> you don't count him. He, they are like you. You they're almost unassailable in many ways. And to give you an example, in some modern Marvel comics, you might see uh, Vader killing an entire army worth of people, uh, but you wouldn't see him like questioning himself. In a like, you wouldn't see him like crying in the yeah. position. Maybe that's like a bad example. Leia, Leia would be a master tactician who would raise an army and like defeat the Empire in this clever little way in modern Marvel comics. But in Dark Horse, in this book in particular, you see a Leia who is a drug smuggler who's got some illicit substances and is wearing a scattily clad dress and is sneaking into places in the espionage. There's more freedom to question these characters. You've got a Han Solo who seems totally belligerent and is bloodied in a cell. Like you've got interesting takes on these characters that aren't um, as kid glove as you get once they become that property of the House of Mouse, you know? It's. I was shocked. I was really surprised by it. It makes sense now that I'm saying it. Yeah, Dark Horse would be a darker take, and it's back in the days before they became, uh, you know, owned and, by Disney. But and it's when you weird. look at it, I mean, Dark Horse had so many years, like oh, actually decades, of working with the properties that they already had all these stories to be able to tell these darker and more elaborate things, as opposed to Marvel saying, "Okay, listen, we kind of have to watch what we're doing. We just got this property. We right. don't know where everything's going yet." Yeah, we kind of have to tiptoe around some things until more stuff gets solid. Right. I, I feel like the Marvel folks are probably dealing with this gigantic Bible that they have to map everything out. you got to clear it with everyone. It's like eggshells for right. creators, I, would, I can only assume. Uh, this story is effectively following a rebel plot over the course of four different perspectives. Actually, we almost say eight perspectives because each chapter has a... 
uh, rookie rebel kind of partnered with one of our main heroes reacting to them sometimes a little gloriously like I, the smell of the Wookiee I, bravery and, I loved yeah. the concept of this I loved the hero <laughs> worship of Han Solo yeah you know that, always, that this one kid had and yeah, yeah. I always imagined Wookiees smelled like bravery it really <laughs> that is what I imagined Wookiees smelled like it was the most uh, not wet dog <laughs> it was the most <laughs> ridiculous chapter uh, but it was also the most fun because the guy who was idolizing Chewbacca basically was like, dude, a lot. <laughs> just like, wow. Because that's a word that they say in yeah, Star Wars. It was, it was interesting. Um, Tell me he was an alien that had no nose. Uh, no, no. He he, re- he remarked upon the smell quite a few times. <laughs> it, like at the beginning of the book, it was a, a reek. And then by the end, as he grew to appreciate Chewbacca, the reek it was a musk. Of, <laughs> it's the reek of bravery. Yes, of the nobility. reek of bravery, which was the alternative title for this book. It is interesting. Divorced from any sub-story, it lives right in that wonderful Mm. period between New Hope and Empire. I am going to give it a near mint. I actually think it was a very, very interesting book. And especially if you're kind of one of those readers who's a little jaded by the, again, the House of Mouse, then here, read this and Mm. shut up. It's not often I actually get a good review from stuff that I recommend to people. There you go. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, you usually recommend crap. I do. You are terrible. Uh, Speaking of terrible, Big Papa Pete. Yes. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting that that you talked so much about the uh, the freedom that Dark Horse had in uh, in exploring their corner of the Marvel universe, Marvel Star Wars universe. (laughs) Right. Because the Marvel comics now, the modern Marvel comics, are kind of an exercise in the opposite of that. Uh, and it's it's actually a very interesting thing. It, it's when you look at it as a experiment in how much you can flex your creative muscle within the rigid framework mm, of I get it. this uh, uh, of the prescribed storylines and the, that which is deemed sacrosanct. For those that don't know, Disney a few years ago, just before The Force Awakens came out, declared that everything going forward that had star wars on it and did not have the legends tag attached to it everything was deemed canon right so all of this happened and the only things that survived the purge were the movies the clone wars uh animated Animated series rebels animated shows Mm -hmm. and i think that was it I think that was officially it. Yeah, that, yeah. that's officially what, all that survived. And then since now, then we've been gathering. They could n- still, still nothing before that mm-hmm. is official, but they've been liberally taking what they want out of old stuff. For instance, Grand Admiral Thrawn has been introduced in the books and uh, and Rebels, I believe. Yeah, he's he's been in the last, uh, this current and last season of Rebels. Yeah, uh but we don't know exactly how much of his backstory carried over. I know a lot of it has. Well, no, I mean, I, I was just going to say, too, and it's, it jumps off of what, you know, talking about comic books. But uh, recently they had uh, released the novel of Thrawn, too, that is now mm-hmm. continuity, which now serves as his. Yeah, as his, time is going yeah, on, we're, yeah. we're getting more and more that's officially. Like Disney, Disney's shown that they're uh, they're willing to adapt the, uh, the it, it, it's less of a rigid the stuff you read before doesn't count thing as a license for them to tweak things where they feel necessary. Right. And that's very much how things work in the new Marvel Star Wars books. It's very interesting to see that, yes, we have to acknowledge everything that happened in the movies and we we can't spoil plans or take things that were seemingly contradictory 
to things that we know. But it's interesting to, to read the way comics writers are able to actually weave in story elements like Han Solo's wife. Interesting. Who we had never been introduced to before. Right. Uh, and I'm not going to spoil things, but it, it's it's actually very interesting to see how they they managed to introduce a character like that. Or Dr. Afra, who played a, uh, a key supporting role in Marvel's first Darth Vader comic and now has her own comic. A character, she's very key in the development of Darth Vader and who he is and how, how he came to be in a position of power that we see him at the beginning of A New Hope. Yeah, totally. Writing prompts, in a way, and this is kind of a mm. writing prompt, is a way of getting people to be more creative. Uh, giving you a white page and saying, do whatever you want, mm. is is somewhat daunting. And it's not necessarily the best way of getting the best work out of someone. So it's not interesting. Not necessarily, but they, they seem to do it very well. I, I, I'm very impressed. It could be a recipe for disaster, but... They, they seem to have a good grasp on, okay, we need to start here and end here, but we're pretty much free to do what we want in the middle. A good example of that is the Captain Phasma miniseries, which was just released uh, or just wrapped up on the road to Last, uh, Jedi. Last Jedi. But it fills the gap between Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and actually explains to us how Phasma got out of the trash compactor that she's implied to be tossed into. Right. <laughs> and then her, her subsequent escape from uh, the super Death Star. Star, Star killer, killer base. base. Sure. Let's call it that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, which I think is how the naming process <laughs> actually happened. You know, I, I, I give Marvel credit. I mean, again, when, when we first heard that Marvel was getting the properties back and that, you know, they were going back and saying, okay, this isn't continuity, but anything that we mo- do moving forward is, and Disney backed all this. You know, I was kind of leery about how they would go about it. And I do give Disney and, of course, Marvel credit for at least listening to their fans. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. like the character of Dr. Afra, I didn't start reading her until later. I just recently started getting into the new Star yeah. Wars books. And I fell in love with the character initially. And now seeing that she has her own series and she's had more to do with this, like they're listening to fans and they're listening, you know, to bring Thrawn into the fold. And mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of admiring a lot of the stuff that that, that they are working on and, yeah. and that they're giving us. It's a, it's it's an evil corporation, but they're <laughs> using their powers for good. Yeah, right now. <laughs> for the moment. Yeah, so there's a, a myriad of comics that Marvel produces for Star Wars. Uh, highly recommend the two Darth Vader series. They did uh, one series that I think went 1 to 24 or 25 and then restarted again from number one with absolutely no way of distinguishing between the two. Well, that's a Marvel thing now. Yep, it is. It's very much a Marvel thing. Hmm. But they're both very good stories. Uh, one chronicles his uh, Darth Vader hunting for this mysterious rebel pilot who blew up the Death Star and he feels some strange connection to, but he, he, he doesn't know anything about this pilot. And uh, the other one follows uh, his quest right after the Revenge of the Sith, after he becomes the Darth Vader that we know, when the Emperor sends him on a quest to build his own lightsaber. So it's, it's the story of how he gets the red lightsaber. Oh, very neat. And why Sith lightsabers are red. 
The other thing I did appreciate in that first miniseries was the relationship that he had with the Emperor and how rocky things have been and the fact that he yes. he's afraid that the Emperor doesn't trust and believe in him like the way he used to, which I thought was a really mm-hmm. cool plot twist. Yeah, so it is impressive to how Marvel comics, current Marvel comics, do still seem to do their own creative spins within the confines they are forced into. Exactly. Very cool. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can't... I can't recommend them highly enough. I'm going to say the the Marvel comics as a whole, I'm going to give a mint. Wow. Very cool. I good stand for behind you, the House of Ideas. Very good for you, Marvel. You're the current publishing house for Star Wars, and you are doing good by your fans. One thing I will say, uh, they are aimed at the slightly more mature audience. Mm. Uh, n- the, not the, uh, the same people that Ewoks and Porgs are. Right. targeted at right uh we we are talking like the the probably teens and above audiences for pretty much all of marvel's books that's interesting so you, you, you do have to be somewhat sophisticated to really appreciate these very odd you'd think that com i mean we've come a long way where comics now are aimed at uh, adults effectively and not children yeah you would think that marvel would want to or that 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 the Disney and Star Wars would want to provide some sort of content for the younger readers in a comic book format. Speaking of younger Wouldn't readers. Wouldn't that be interesting? Quite possibly. Yeah. Oh, I guess everyone's just that, waiting That was for your me, segue. Huh? Yeah, you, you've got is. a segue there, Ken. That was your segue. Yeah. yeah that, that little you do like, your part now. battery-operated yeah, gyroscope scooter was, thing you've got, yes. that's, that's your segue. Frank mentioned it earlier. There's a new kid on the block who's actually working with Star Wars in, in comic format, and it's IDW. This is so weird to me. So weird. So what's happening here? Essentially, Marvel and Disney wound up approaching IDW or about producing comic books that would be geared towards a younger audience between the ages of seven to 10 that would feature one or two part stories and weren't overly steeped in continuity. Apparently, uh, Lucasfilm, LucasArts and Disney did approach IDW with this over Marvel because of IDW's proven track record with all ages comics. IDW is seen as something as a, a something of an expert publishing house when it comes to publishing all ages comics. It's not something that Marvel has great success with. I mean, they, they do okay, but IDW does it really well. And the same thing with uh, with reprinting newspaper strips, which is something they're well, also doing. One of the things, yeah, IDW has a big a big yeah. thing on uh, taking classic stories from all different companies into giant collections. They've even done it for Marvel. They, yeah, they, like they've they did collected Daredevil, this, a whole bunch of yeah. They've yeah. collected the Spider-Man so the news news strips, the newspaper strips. Well, I not believe even, just actually like classic stories by known creative teams like re- redoing they have done that too. daredevil and that's and yeah mm, this is really odd to me because well for i mean effectively we're talking about Lu- lucasfilm reaching out to idw mm-hmm. but really it's disney so disney's reaching out to a different company because like we need somebody who could write for children what are these children <laughs> i don't get it i don't know pass me my pg-13 <laughs> But it's somebody who can produce comic books for children in the modern age. I guess that's it. I guess Disney hasn't. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure where Boomio falls into all this. I'm not sure where. Also, yeah. I mean, Disney has been working with other 
uh, collaborators for some of their other books too, like right. the, the the Scrooge books and Darwin Donald Duck and, and yeah. a couple of yeah the Duck Universe books. So it's odd that this is happening. Yet here we are. It's not super odd because IDW does have a huge track record of all ages comics and of how do I put this nostalgia books? Yeah, uh, like books that are focusing on no nostalgia properties like Transformers and GI Joe and etc. Yeah. So all right, cool. Whatever it is, this is what we've got. And you have something from them. Yeah, it's uh, Star Wars Adventures. And it's it's an interesting take on a little bit of everything. Each book is split up into essentially three sections. One is a one to two part story that focuses on a particular character that seems like it takes place either right before the events of a major movie or right after the events of one of the major movies. So the first two issues, the first story revolves about uh, Ray and her relationship with uh, I forget I can't think of his name now the, the 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 guy who owned the junkyard that oh Simon Pegg yeah, yeah. Simon Pegg's character <laughs> where he's abducted because he owns a robot that Ray sold him that could possibly have a map or plans that this intergalactic mob leader wants. And Ray realizes that if he's gone, someone else is going to take over his shop and may not have the same relationship with her that he's had. Right. And um, he's helped take care of her in the past. And he knows, and she knows that he's like his greatest scavenger. Better the devil you know. Correct. So that was a cute story. The second part of the issues is an individual story called Tales. And each one is part of a Tales from the Wild Space segment, which revolves around a new, a new human character. We haven't seen in two of his robots on a ship. And it always seems like the two robots, are kind of getting into some sort of weird argument over something. And this character comes in to give us a morality tale from previous characters in the Star Wars universe to say, this is how it was remedied, and you guys should really learn from this. That's really Hmm. odd. It's it's interesting. interesting. Uh, In the second issue... And uh, here's the other thing, considering that it is IDW, IDW actually gives us the rebel pilot Yvonne Verlaine, who we saw in the Princess Leia miniseries who helped her through her exploits of getting to what she had to do and the plans or whatever mission that, that she was on in that miniseries. So I think crossing the streams just for with original characters was kind of interesting. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, not these aren't film characters. These are characters that started off in other comic lines are now going into this IDW line. So again, it's like, it's a weird thing of like, what is the continuity with IDW? And like, is, is I, it considered actually part of the canon? I think I think it is. I don't think it's a legends. I think it's canon. I just think that maybe it sort it of It doesn't matter that it's canon. Really. Yeah, right. it's nothing that would happen in these stories would be that instrumental in It's not going to make any kind of impact in what's going to come before, right. you know, later. Ah, comics without character development. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh interesting. Very odd. Uh, but would you say that all the stories you read were geared towards kids? Absolutely. I think every single one of them had some sort of moral to it. It was almost like the equivalent of the old He-Man Shira, where it's almost like they actually give you the, I learned something today Uh in some of these stories. Interesting. Um, It's fun. And then the uh, third part, they do a big thing where they spotlight a particular character in the Star Wars universe with a write-up, and then we get a cover gallery afterwards to see all the possible ones that if you didn't buy one, you can still get a page of each. This definitely feels like a kid's comic. Oh, yeah. Very cool. And it's all done in a type of um, animated series feel in the illustrations. Very cool. Which is kind of neat. So what did you rank it? Again, for me... For the audience. For the audience, I would say near men, especially if you have kids and they love Star Wars. Right. It wasn't particularly my cup of tea. Yeah. But I I can appreciate it. And I think that's really important. But they didn't write it for you. Yeah. 
I do think that's pretty important because when I'm looking at, I'm thinking about this Dark Horse book I read and the Marvel books that you were talking about, Pete. I don't know if I would hand those off to a young kid. And it's a lot of young kids who like Star Wars. So having this, the, the books that Ken read, I think makes sense. Yeah. And, and knowing that they're worth it for them is, is pretty good advice. Like Ken, would you read this to your niece? Probably, and would you enjoy I would probably, it you know, give it to her as a gift, and yeah, yeah, I would, I would totally, you know, bedtime, you know, story I don't time. Know. I don't know, Pete. Ken, would you watch Hellraiser with your niece? Well, th- yeah, All but right, you so know, not I a would, great, not a great. Would you character. watch Hellraiser with your three-year-old niece? Yeah, he—that's what he said. He, he meant it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but the other, thing, the other cool thing with IDW is now that this has proven that it sells. We're getting more titles, mm-hmm. and uh, going back talking about the, those collections, they are actually they have rights to reprint the original Star Wars newspaper strips from the seventies right. and the eighties. It's it was, it, it, they're covering the whole five year run of them, and apparently it's supposed to be the most concise, linear of all, 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 all like the end all be all collection of these strips. Yeah, they do a good so job with their. Collecting. They're going to put them together in chronological order. Most of them like have been, but, but there have been uh, additional plot lines, and there was apparently a point where the weekday comics and the Sunday comics were separate stories, and they found oh. a way to mix it all to make have it to all make integrate sense. Them. And yeah, yeah, a good curator, and IDW is a pretty good curator. I think would yeah. do a good job with this book. So I think that's a pretty good review of things. You, uh, this is where you're at in the Star Wars universe comic franchises that exist out there for you to read. There's plenty available that you can download or purchase in your local comic shop for the older stuff and new stuff is coming out all the time so we definitely recommend Marvel and IDW stuff There's that is being generated I for one would like to see DC get a chance to make Star Wars comics because why the hell not right why not what really need to like? see more Star Wars worlds with red skies yeah there you go that would be perfect right acceptable yeah, yeah. sure more Hawkmen too many Hawkmans <laughs> Gordon's alive <laughs> This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.